Hey, everybody. Producer John Wright here. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know about something we're doing this Thursday, October 25th, over on Patreon. Every month for those supporting the show at the $20 and above level, we do a live video session where we break down recent episodes, review the guests and topics, figure out what we can do better. We call it the jam session. We figure anybody willing to throw in 20 bucks a month should be part of producing the podcast in this way at least. But this month, since we're just about at our goal of 100 patrons, which is super exciting by the way, we figured we'd open up the jam session just this once to all Patreon supporters as a way of saying thanks and having kind of a meetup with everybody online. So to join the fun, go to patreon.com slash humanize me this Thursday, October 25th at 6 p.m. Pacific time and click the link for the jam session. You can give us your comments about the podcast, ask questions live, tell us what you want to hear more of or less of, and just generally hang out with Bart and I as we have a pretty legit production meeting in front of everybody. And if you're not yet a Patreon supporter, we'd love you to join up. You can do it for as little as a buck a month. And, you know, I can't overstate the importance of Patreon to making this podcast happen. It literally couldn't exist at all without your support. So see you Thursday on Patreon. And now let's get on with today's show. I think that one of the things that makes a ritual powerful, whether it's in a family or in, in a community, is that the thing that you do actually reflects a value that you share. Like yeah. that the, the, we do this to symbolize this or we do this to remember this or we do this to celebrate this, but that there's a, a direct relationship between the thing we're doing over and over again and some value that we want to reinforce. Perfect. Yep. That, that's that's right on. That's why we do it. Yeah. Listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. It is one of those weeks in which it's me and John and a question. Hey. And John and so John, you are here. I am here. With a question. I do have a good question. We well, have a, good. and you may know the questioner. This is a man called Morris. I do not, not only do I know the questioner, everyone on the podcast, everyone who really has stuck with this podcast knows the questioner because that's Morris Day. Uh, who, Morris, uh, Morris Bird. Morris Bird. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 and, and I do this to his face too. I go Morris Day because that was like the, the guy, Morris Day in the time was a band in Minneapolis. Um, that played with Prince in the Revolution. Oh. <laughs> and they used to do a song called The Bird. Interestingly <laughs> enough, so, but it's Morris Bird. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Morris is the guy that puts on those beach parties, right? In Southern California. Yeah, the, the, he calls them the interfaithless beach parties. Right. And he promotes them kind of in this weird underground way. And basically they become a gathering or a meeting place for people that from all different kinds of faith backgrounds who have left the faith and who are feeling a little bit lonely and 
lost. Marty and I went to one once um, when yeah, we were I in was LA. With you. Melissa oh, and I God. went to that too. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But yep. then, then, then who else was with us? Uh, I'm trying to remember her name. Oh, I, yes. Yes. Okay. And, and we don't need to do names, but, right. but, but, um, but we, oh had, my we gosh. had some other people there too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But it's really interesting. I mean, it's like people who are ex Scientologists, ex Mormons, ex Catholics, ex everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's so funny that I didn't remember that you were with me when we went. It remi- like, I, I remember one time there was this girl that I sort of was on and off again crushing on. Mm-hmm. And one time we went to a movie and then like a couple of years later, we were in a conversation and, you know, we've been on and again and off again. And a couple of years later, we were in a conversation. And I said like, oh my gosh, have you ever seen this movie? My t- like uh, my dinner with Andre. And there was a long pause and she said, I saw that movie with you. <laughs> And, and, and I just want to say, John, she didn't take it nearly as well as you just did. <laughs> I know that I was not the main attraction that night. Right, right. All right. So, so anyway, so Morris is here uh, or like via the, via the, um, the call-in thing, the, the voicemail. Mm-hmm. You got, you want, you, you want to throw him up and see what he says? Yeah, let's go. Do it. Hey, Bart, this is Morris Bird. I have a question about the role of rituals in secular communities. Uh, the word ritual is used to describe things as innocent as you're reading the newspaper. On, on the other hand, it, it's used to describe sinister cult ceremonies. Uh, I'm curious, what are your thoughts generally on the role of rituals in secular communities and what makes a good ritual and how are good rituals designed and implemented into a community. Thanks, Bart. Love what you do. Bye. All right. So Morris asks a good question, I think. Um, and I know this is, I know this is the Humanize Me podcast. It is not the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Is, is that show even still on the air? I don't know, actually. I haven't paid a, a lot of attention to it for many years now. Maybe it's off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's immortalized because I, I, I just that movie Slumdog Millionaire, mm, great movie. Yeah, which kind of was based on that. But anyway, the part of that show that I'm thinking of is there was a point at which a person was faced with a question, and if they if they weren't sure of the answer, they could phone a friend. <laughs> and 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 I want to phone a friend. Okay, because I've got this friend, Keith Page, who is. Kind of has a background not unlike yours and mine, John. Like grew up in the church, did a bunch of ministry stuff, sort of worked his way out. But he's a ritual. I would say he's a ritual master. Okay. So I want to call Keith. So can we do that? He sounds like the perfect person to answer it. All right. So let's do it. Hey, it's Keith. Hey, Keith. It's Bart. Yeah, man. Good to hear your voice. And it's John Wright. How are you, Keith? Good. How are you, John? Nice to meet you. Likewise. Okay. For those not on this phone call, um, Keith, tell me where you are. Ha. Beautiful Costa Mesa, California. And Another it, living the dream. It's It's funny because, of course, like for me, living in Costa Mesa, California would be a nightmare, but that's another story. Um, but but you, that's why you're not here. Right? But you like it there, don't you? 
Yeah, I do. I do. It's uh, we've we've we uh, we have an agreement. I I keep trying to love the city, and the city keeps you know <laughs> trying to love me back. <laughs> we put up with each other. <laughs> now, now, I, the reason I call I'm calling you Keith is yes. because I've got this friend Mars Day who asks me this really good question about is the that role. Mars Day in the time. Damn it! I did it again. <laughs> Why? Damn it! Shit. When Sydney said more stay, I thought more stay in the time. Is that who you're talking about? Uh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> yes. His name is Morris Bird. You introduced me to Morris Bird. I did introduce you. You know Morris Bird, don't you? Yeah, yeah, not in person, but we've talked on the phone and you've told me all about him and I can't wait to go to one of his events. All right. So yeah. that, cause that's, that's a good thing. Okay. So Morris, Morris, in addition to being a cool guy, number one, um, he had this really good question about the role of ritual in secular communities. And, and I would say in, in, in life in general. Mm -hmm. um, and, and John, I, I don't, I don't is, is that all I need to say about it? I mean, the question, what did you feel like was the gist of the question? Well, I guess that what occurred to me was the thought that many secular people sort of get rid of rituals, don't they? Whenever they leave religion and they sort of abandon rituals, or at least they think they do. And so the question is, I suppose, uh, what's a good ritual or what mm. what are rituals that secular people should double down on or invest in or believe in? Mm. Yeah. And Keith, the reason I'm calling you, as you might expect, is because you know we were friends ba way back in the day when we were both doing churchy work. Yeah. Um, but then the next time I came across you, you were leading a funeral. Yeah. Crazy. And I and it turned out that you were a celebrant, mm -hmm. that you are a person who oversees a lot of funerals and a lot of weddings. Yeah. And and so maybe just briefly, like, what is a celebrant? Because I like I after watching you do it, I was like, I want to be one of those. And I've started doing that too. And and how do Good. you when people ask you like what's a celebrant how do you describe it? I I say um, it is a little bit like a secular clergy funeral officiant, uh, which is way too much. And they go, huh? And I said, well, it's it's the opportunity that rather than um, have a clergy do a funeral where people often assume and expect it's going to be you know wrought with. Uh, spiritual stuff and Bible verses. Um, it's an opportunity instead to focus on the person who's died and to tell their story. And everything about that service should embody their memory, their legacy, their family, their friends. Um, and so that's, and I said the term originated apparently from New Zealand because New Zealand's a more secular culture. And so mm -hmm. when you get married or buried in New Zealand, you they do it with a, a celebrant. They're, they are like what we would think of as clergy here. They are like the clergy, but they're secular clergy in New Zealand. So that's where the term apparently came from. And what's funny is, you know, people sometimes talk about going to the justice of the peace. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the difference is, is that the justice of peace is like, I'll get it done for you legally. But right. a celebrant says, listen, this is, this is a, a human ritual. This is a, this right. is an important milestone. Let's, let's make it special. Let's make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And it's got the word celebrate right in it, you know? And so it's, how do we, how do we take this moment, uh, bringing people together and make it some aspect of this celebration of life 
And so they go, oh, celebration of life. Oh, duh, a celebrant should do that. <laughs> yeah. And so, so what have you learned about oh, funerals? Man. I mean, yeah. and, 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 and about, about funerals as rituals. Like, I think there are certain things that we do at every funeral because we go like, on some level, although everybody has their own individual story, we are all part of this human family. And there are some things that we go like, we always say this, or we always do this. What are the things that you think always need to happen? Well, I mean, when I meet with a family, the, the first thing you know I give them is a very simple framework. You and I have talked about this um, offline, but about that, that there's kind of three aspects to this, this ceremony, this celebration of someone's life. And first is a time where we're going to remember. And everybody remembers. I mean, that's part of what we as human beings seem to have the capacity to do, right, is to look back. And, and so I say, we're going to look back and remember your loved one. Um, I met with a family yesterday morning and the 30-year-old young man uh, died. They didn't even want to talk to me early on about how he died. I had some guesses, right? You know, um, there's mm-hmm. only a couple ways, 30-year-olds die. Um, but I said, we're going we're gonna to remember your, I was talking to the sister, we're going to remember your brother. And, oh, and by the way, they said he was an atheist. And I said, and they said, is that a problem? Of course not. Is that a problem? No, we're going to remember him. And they, they were nod, nodding their head. Perfect. We're going to remember him. And then I said after, and I said, you guys are going to tell me a lot of things about your brother. And then, and I can help weave those together and kind of tell his story. His, he's got a story. He, he lived in those 30 years and we need to remember the things that are, you know, and I always say, I promise I won't, I won't make that. And they laugh. I said, I won't make him a saint and I won't make him a sinner. And even secular people know what that means. Like, I'm not going to make him an angel because that's not real. And I'm not going to make him scum of the earth. You know, we're going to, I'm going to humanize him. <laughs> right. Yeah. He had, he, he, he had, there's beauty in his life and he had brokenness and pain and let's paint a real story. Let's be honest. Like that's the thing it's, at funerals we really need to be about is honesty. Right. doesn't mean you have to tell all. But let's be honest. And so they they were they they really appreciate that. Then I said the second aspect is we're going to take time to reflect on him. And I said, let me tell you how that's different. Each of you, his his sister was there, his mom was there, his brother was there. You all have your own reflections. You each had your own dynamic with him, and and he made how he made you feel, the things you learned about him, the things about his life that impacted you the most. We can have opportunities for each of you and other family and friends to share and reflect on your relationship with him. They were nodding again, right? And then I said, and finally, um, there's this there's this thing I do, and I said I do this with all families, whether they're spiritual, not spiritual, semi. I said it's a moment of release. I said when I'm with religious people, they like to call it a prayer of release. I said I used to call it a moment of release. Now I call it a ceremony of release. Right? I just use the word ceremony of release. And they said, what's that? And I said, well, we just kind of hold out our hands. I said, it's just, it's just a, a ritual. It's a moment where we hold out our hands. I said, it's a posture of gratitude. And we just say together, our hands are open because we're thankful that, that your brother was in our life and our lives are in some ways better, fuller. We have a more, a more full picture of life because we knew your brother. And then secondly, our hands are open as a symbol that, that we do have to release him in some way. His body physically is no longer here. And so we acknowledge together with our hands open that we, we are releasing his body back into the ground. Right. And, and then I say, and, and so it's this picture of gratitude. It's a picture of surrender or release. And then I tell people, but at the end of our ceremony at this part, I'm going to put your hand over your heart because I'm going to say, even though we've released him, we get to hold on to his memory, right. And his essence in our heart. 
um, for as long as we live. And they're going, yeah. oh, that would be so great. And by the time I get to that part, Bart, they're already tears are in their eyes because just doing that with them in the, you know, describe you what I'm going to do. They do it right there sitting on the couch about their brother. So yeah. it's powerful. Does that make sense? It, it, it does to me. And, and, and what I'm, you know, when I'm privileged to be in that same situation, what I find myself thinking is, is that. I think they're crying partly because of the brother and what's going on. And I think there's also a sense of reliefs or relief mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they go, somebody knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Right. Yeah. You're right. And, and I think that that's, you know, when Morris mm -hmm. asked the question, you know, what about rituals? What rituals do for human beings is that they create a sense of order, a sense of somebody mm. knows what to do. There's this mm. thing that we're supposed to do here. Right. And even right. if we invented it, right? If we yeah. if we do if we do it like bedtime with my kids. Like uh -huh. we we did bedtime the same way every night. And and, and you go like well, we invented it. You know, and 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 things would get added to the ritual, and sometimes things would drop out of the ritual over time. But the point is, like, it still created a sense of you could kind of go on autopilot for a minute and go like, okay, I know we're doing the right thing here. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that especially in a moment of grief, when people are really messed up they're like what if i forget to do the most important thing what if the what if we're not honoring him the right way what if what if we, mm -hmm. and you go like hey here's what we do we do this then we do this then right. we do this and a person goes like okay i think it's going to be okay yeah you're right have you <laughs> this is sound funny but like i find that the more i get involved with rituals like big rituals like weddings and funerals the more I find myself thinking like we need little rituals too in our lives, like the, to, to serve the same function. Mm -hmm. um, I like that. Yeah. We, we used to do, we, we, we do these potluck dinners, you know, among our friends here, you know, our sort of humanist fellowship here. And yeah. before the dinners, you know, everybody, the food's there and, and, and we've done the, you know, it's time to eat. And it was always like, you know, the time when you would pray that would sort of officially say like, go for go for it. Uh -huh. I got to know what to, so, so I, one night I'm there, I'm just like, you know, none of us here really believe in any kind of supernatural forces, but all of us believe in gratitude. Right. So, so could we just stop for a moment and just, let's just look at each other and look each other in the eye as if to say, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. I'm glad we have food to eat. I'm glad we have a safe place to be. Um, and so let's just take a moment and do that. Make eye contact with three or four people and then we'll eat. So everybody mm -hmm. did that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the next time we got together, so it was like, are we going to do that thing? And you're like, yeah, you do that thing. <laughs> so we did that thing. So one night we get there and like, we're late and we're running behind. And I'm like, okay, everybody, the food's there. And one of the guys in the group said, wait, wait, wait. Right. <laughs> we got to do the thing. <laughs> and, 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 and I said, what, what do you mean? And, and so he launched into the speech. Right. And he said, listen, none of us here. And he knew all, like he, it was he basically it. Yep. verbatim. Right. And I thought, okay, this has kind of become our group's thing to do. Yeah. But you know, you didn't know, great? you didn't know yeah. why you were making it up. <laughs> right. It's just like an AA meeting, right? I mean, you know, people do those and they come in and they know how it's going to start 
and they know the format and they know the ending and they know the traditions. And the seventh tradition is that, you know, the past, the end, those are all rituals that help create, give form and function. And then that gives the freedom then for all the juicy, cool, you know, meaningful stuff to happen also on the insides because it creates somewhat of a structure. Yeah. Framework. Yeah. Yeah. Framework. Yeah. And it creates safety again. Like, like a person goes, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And you go, well, you kind of know what's going to happen. Right. You, you, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 and then you, you can, you can adjust and modify it. Like it doesn't have to be like dogmatic or rigid, right. but, but just that basic structure gives you, it kind of gives you something to start with. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah. and I guess that's where I think like, I mean, with your kids, you probably had some rituals, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. The, the bedtime, you know, uh, stories. And then, um, if the stories were really, sometimes I would, you know, they would want an original, you know, they wouldn't want just the Disney, a Disney something or something that we, you know, uh, a story they already knew they would want me to make one up. Then the next night they would want it again in a few nights. And yeah. then every once in a while I would kind of forget how I said it. And Avery, especially my oldest would be dad, you're telling it wrong <laughs> and just ticked, you know, yeah. that I was accidentally breaking tradition. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, you know, those things um, for sure. I mean, and, and I remember with, with my, my son in particular, who I had a really fraught relationship with when he was like from like the time when he was like three until he was about 15. Like we, we really, we really struggled sometimes to connect, but we Mm. did have this bedtime ritual. Um, Mm. And I, I, you know, it is, is at the end of the whole thing, after the stories, after the, you know, whatever, um, when I would tuck him in, I would say, who's your best friend? And he would Mm. say, you are. And I would say, who's my best friend? And he would say, I am. And I'd say, what are we? And he'd say, the guys. Mm. Um, and I would say, um, I love you. I like you. You're the best. And then he, and then, and then, and then he would say, good night. And I'd say, sleep tight. And then, and then we'd go back and forth. Don't let the bad bugs bite. And what was funny was, to this day, the kid's 25 years old, but to this day, every now and then, he'll just he'll just send me a text and say, who's your best friend? Yeah. And, uh, and that ritual has kind of created, created a groove where even yeah. when we weren't getting along, something there would remind us like, yeah, but we're still connected. Hmm. And so I, I think that sometimes the power of rituals is that they create a sense of What's the word? Um, of 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 permanence hmm. in the midst of when everything else around you isn't very permanent. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's like other stuff's falling away, fading away. But yeah, we've got these. Yeah, these things that hang on. That kind of stand the test of time. And sometimes you'd grit your teeth saying it because you weren't feeling it. <laughs> right. You weren't You're feeling it at all. Yeah. Um, but. It was a way of reminding you, like, look, we're in this moment right now, but this is not all moments. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are afraid of rituals because rituals can be manipulative. Right. And I don't know if when you, when you sort of were, were moving away from traditional Christian stuff, mm-hmm. if, I mean, you know, sometimes I look back at communion and I go like, oh, that's a weird ritual. 
right. blood and flesh and like, that's a weird ritual. Very, you know, and think about people who didn't understand any context at all for at least what we, we used to, you know, what we told, what we were told it meant and for them to hear, yeah, uh, flesh and blood, like what, what on earth? Yeah. yeah. That, that makes yeah no sense. Eating, eating someone. Yeah. Baptism is a little bit of a weird ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I think, you know, like those rituals have a, a tremendously, a tremendous binding power. Like when somebody has been baptized into the church, like sometimes later on that, you know, they don't believe anything like, but I was baptized, you know, like, like, right. <laughs> they, they create this touch point says you're in whether you want yeah. to be in or not, you were in, you, you, you did it. Mm. And so I like, I, I I guess as you, as you think about community now, what do you think about rituals of initiation and rituals of connection? Like, do you think like, are they, you know, are they bad? Yeah, I, I think they're uh, really wonderful and, and need need to happen and be really purposely, you know, thought out. In fact, um, I listened to your guy that talked about what is the art of community. Oh yeah, Charles Vogel. Yeah, that wrote the book, and I got it, and it's all about uh, one whole chapter's on ritual and the importance of and who's in and who's out, and if people know who's in and who's out, that actually creates safety. Because if you're out, you can look in, but there's not an expectation to act or be like someone who's in. And if you're in, there might be other expectations to go with it. Well, what's the ritual that connects you with that that helps move someone from out to in? Things like that. Um, and even as I'm trying to create a more of a humanist you know, community out here. One of the things we're doing is reading his book to begin to say, you know, in the same way church churches had membership. Uh, well, let's be honest, the membership, you know, I'm not sure what, I mean, was it denominational roll call stuff, but, but part of it was there was a sense of once people said they were in, you could ask more of them. Like people knew if I'm a member, it's no longer someone else's thing. It's my thing, right? It's not a community I'm just visiting, but it's my community and I can help contribute to it. So ritual can help those, I think, build and strengthen community with one another. Yeah. And, so, and also personal identity. Like, right. I may not actually be at the group. I might, I, I might be in Wisconsin on a thing, but mm -hmm. like, I'm part of that group. And so he says to you, like, so what are you into? You're like, well, I'm a, I'm a Methodist or I'm a, I'm a, right. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jew or like, right. I'm a humanist. And you're like, well, how do you know you're a humanist? <laughs> right. And you go like, well, because yeah. I'm a part of that humanist community. And, 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 and in a weird way, that like the fact that I am a part of a humanist community does indeed make me feel like I can use the word humanist with a little bit more confidence. Mm -hmm. Because cause yeah. again, like I, I could also say like, I'm an intellectual. And you go like, are you? Prove it. <laughs> right. Like, well, right. you know, like, w w like, when do you get to call yourself an intellectual? When do you get to call yourself, um, you know, a lot of things? But, but you go like, I know, you know, like, I know that I, you know, I know, I knew when I became a Christian because, like, there was a ritual that said, "Now you are one," mm -hmm. and right. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, in fact, I think we grow. You know, I, I don't want to uh, use particularly names of pastors and churches and stuff, because that's in the past. But I, I will say, and I will say, though, that I've seen, you know, when they offer various classes or steps to getting more involved, they say people do grow to their commitments. Mm 
And so when you ask people to, you know, if, if do you guys, what do you call your thing that gathers on Sunday nights? Oh, it was just like Cincinnati Humanist Fellowship. Okay. And you have, you have visitors. Sure. Right. And, and it'd be interesting, like right now, what, how do they know if they stop being a visitor and they're no, and they're no longer a visitor? Oh yeah. And no. part of. And we got nothing right, right now. Yeah. Right. We got nothing. Um, yeah. And nor do we, um, but, but it'd be interesting if, if they knew that, right. And you knew that because then you might say, Hey, as visitors, man, visitors can come. And then as participants, you know, or beyond visitors, whatever is a word that's not, doesn't offend either side. Um, there's a, there's a little bit higher of how we, how we do that as a visitor, you just come and see, but as a participant, you come and engage, you know, et cetera. Right. And then people, Oh, there's a different expectation. And then if, and when they make that kind of commitment, there could be ritual or ceremony that has, that everyone acknowledges that they've crossed over. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and know, I think right? like, I, 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 yeah. And it doesn't have to be like, we're, there's no magic. It's just, right. this is our community's way of acknowledging a milestone. Yeah. Yes. Um, we, we do, we do birthdays, <laughs> right? There's no magic, but we, 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 we acknowledge again. Right. And we have ritual around that to mark another trip around the sun <laughs> successfully. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting because in my experience, the, the, the best rituals, uh, they, they kind of emerge, you know, like, like sometimes you try to set something up and you think it's going to be meaningful. And sometimes it is, but sometimes something happens and you go like, you know, that was good. Let's do that again. Mm -hmm. um, Surprise rituals, <laughs> surprise moments that become rituals because they were so good, right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and rituals change over time. But I think that one of the things that makes a ritual powerful, whether it's in a family or in, in a community, um, on a, on a sports team, like whatever is, is that the thing that you do actually reflects a value that you share. Like the, yeah. that, that it's not just, we do this for the sake of doing it. Um, but that, that, that there has to be a connection where you go like, we do this to symbolize this, or we do this to remember this, or we do this to celebrate this, but that there's a, a direct relationship between the thing we're doing over and over again and some value that we want to reinforce. Perfect. Yep. That that's that's right on. That's why we do it. Yeah. Yeah. It reinforces that value. Hey John, are you still out there? It's funny. I, I sure am. Oh, sorry. So, no, 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 that's I, cool. No, I I had to unmute my uh I had to unmute my mic. Right. And it's, you know, so we just got going. But like as you're listening to this, is there anything that that's that this is bringing up for you? No, I mean, I, I guess, you know, death is certainly one time when everybody recognizes the need for ritual. And but I think people feel like they can get through daily life without many of them, even though, as you guys said, there are lots of rituals in everyday life, birthdays and everything else. Uh, I, I'm aspiring to good solo rituals right now because I just started a daily life where I'm working by myself a lot. So. Uh, you know, like meditation is one of those things. I'd love to develop a good meditative practice and that's a brand new thing for me. So we'll see how it goes. Do you think, do you think that qualifies as a ritual? Well, that's a great question. Like, I wonder what the dictionary definition of ritual is. Like, is it, is it a group thing or is it, can, can you have an individual ritual? He meant, Morris mentioned things like reading the newspaper in the morning, which would be a solo ritual. Hmm. Uh, this idea of repetitive behaviors, you know, that, that kind of, 
become sort of codified as part of your life or just a part of your daily routine? I, I guess there's a difference between a ritual and a routine. Right. Or a habit. Or a you habit. Know, like, yeah. You might yeah. have the habit. It seems like ritual feels like it's it's trying to create uh, more meaning maybe some some level of deeper meaning. no I really liked actually Bart's definition that he that he just gave which what was that again Bart it was if it's value affirming or if it's uh-huh. or if you're doing it because of a value that you hold yeah I mean it's funny I'm I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking I, I think that's what makes a, a ritual a good thing but like the dictionary definition one of them is a set of fixed actions and sometimes words performed regularly especially as part of a ceremony Right, right. What's interesting is, is that I, I'm going to still say, I think even like, even if you're doing it alone, there are some things that we do alone that are still rituals because we're not the only one who does them alone. Like some, mm. you, you know, sometimes a person might, you know, a Catholic person might, you know, pray the rosary or cross mm. themselves before they enter into a certain kind of place. And they do it even if nobody's watching and and it's kind of but the thing that makes it a ritual is is that they're not the only one that does it and and so i suppose meditation is is one of those things yeah. as, i mean and as far as group rituals i suppose uh, before this conversation i'd probably have thought of it as a way to be intentional about some of the things you do in regular i mean maybe you get together at the same time every week with with a group of friends and shared what happened that week do you think that's a ritual if you made that a repetitive practice and, and did it all the time and kind of shared. And it certainly does go to, you know, sort of the value of that little community. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I think I have a friend in Minneapolis, my friend Matthew, and he for a long time on Friday nights would light a fire in his backyard and a, a motley crew of different friends would just show up and they would sit around that fire and talk about their lives. Yeah. And I think that the fact that there was always a fire, like that, that was part of what, you know, fires are are part of a lot of people's rituals. But I think that, yeah, there was a sense in which this is what we do. We light a fire and this are the kinds of things that we talk about. And so I don't think it needs to be incredibly rigid. Right. Yeah. And that, that is the kind of thing, uh, guys, that popped into my mind when, when I heard the question were things in my life that I could identify and say, oh, you know, like these are really important little little patterns of, of things that I do with, with say, friends or family or, or whatever. And you mentioned, that was beautiful what you mentioned with, uh, with Roman, Bart, uh, that, that whole little kind of nighttime ritual. So, yeah, I, I really do think they're valuable. Yeah, Bart. I just had a uh, one one other thought. If you got a, got another second to talk, go about. for it. Um, even in you know, I've been in my own recovery journey now for many many years. Get up on and, the mic. Get um, up on the mic. Sorry, I've been in my own recovery community for a number of years, and part of our the journey in recovery is they also have you look at not only are we drawn to the um, whatever that kind of acting out behavior, acting out, you know, substance, but the ritual leading up to it is part of the, what entices you is that there is a ritual that we're drawn to, even as we move towards a path of negativity, but there's a a ritual um, that people kind of navigate. So I just find it how powerful ritual is both for the good and how it can also, we can see that it's got, it can have detrimental effects when it leads us to this uh, something that's habitual but not healthy 
Because it's a groove. There's a ritual, there's it's a a ritual involved. It's, it's a groove, yeah. And, 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 and the interesting thing is like, once you get started, that's why like, go ahead, like, you know, walk into that bar, light that cigarette. Right. Like, you're, right. you, you're not going to stop. <laughs> like, 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 you, you know, because you know what comes next and what comes next and what comes next. And so on right. some level, if you establish rituals that point in the direction of things that you actually value, when you are weak, when you are undisciplined, if you can get to the first step, your your body, your 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 mind will carry you along in the direction that you want to go. Hmm. And, That's right. Uh, one of the first things they taught me at one of my first meetings was they had me pick up my phone to to show that how easy it was for me to lift a phone to my ear. You know. Um, yeah. And 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 they said they wanted me to make three calls a day to other folks in the program as part of the ritual. And I, and I, and I said, okay. And they said, because and we had you lift the phone to your ear because tomorrow when it's time, if you, because you haven't developed a ritual yet, that found that phone will feel like it weighs 900 pounds, <laughs> right? They yeah. call it the 900 pound telephone in recovery community when it's too difficult mm. to pick up. But if you practice the ritual making calls, then and they said, call, learn to call, learn the ritual before you really need it. I mean, like learn to practice the call because then when the time is right and you need to pick up that phone, you've already developed the muscle memory of picking up a phone or the ritual of doing it. Yeah. And it works. So good. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're, I I think Morris probably knew that we would get onto some of this stuff because, um, but, but, but I think that there is a, a pushback that a lot of people have where they're like, Hey. If we put too if we put too much ritual in here, it'll begin to look like we're inventing a religion. And I'm sort of like, yeah, you know what? People, I don't think people need supernaturalism. I don't think people need magic, but I think people do need religion, and in in the sense of a collective practice of pursuing goodness, a collective practice. And I think that what you're what you just said, Keith. Is, is about like one of the reasons that we need a collective practice is because from day to day in, in certain situations, w- we need something that makes it easier for us to do what it is that we really deep down want to do and what, and what we know is rational to do. <laughs> right. But we're not rational right. in every moment. And sometimes Correct. the ritual is about getting us to do what makes sense, even when it doesn't feel like it makes sense. Right. Right. When we'd rather not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's good, man. That'll, as they used to say back that'll in our preach. day, that'll preach. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, so thanks for talking about all this stuff. Yeah. And, and now, oh, it's a pleasure. Now, Keith, somebody out there in Southern California is going to say, I love that guy's voice. I want him to do my wedding. I want him yes. to do my funeral. What should they do if they want, if or, you know, do the funeral for my person? Um, what should right. they do if they uh, wanted to reach out to you? Yeah, the easiest right now where people are finding me is they're starting to Google, um, when they start to Google the word celebrate, they're finding me on Yelp. So if they just go, go to Yelp in, in Orange County or Southern California and type in Keith Page, P-A-G-E, they will find me. Yelp, Yelp and it gives Keith my Page. Phone, phone number and, and gives my phone number and email and... Uh, that's how this family that reached out to me yesterday with a 30-year-old, they just typed in celebrant and I popped up and people are writing good stuff on my Yelp page. So they called. All right. Oh, and guess what, Bart? What? They're having, they didn't have a place for the service. Guess where they're having it? 
in my loft. Oh, because I right. have a loft that's just a gathering spot. Yeah, and they, and I said they go, we're thinking a park. I go, hey, I'll meet you at a park. I said they said, but maybe indoors because we might want to show a video. And I said, well, have you been looking around? Yeah, we can't find anything. I said, if you want to come to my space and just see my loft tomorrow, I'll meet with you guys if you like it. And they came in and go, oh, so our brother would have loved this. Can we have it here? So Saturday that's five nice. o'clock. That's nice. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for okay. thanks for being there when I needed you. Of course. Likewise for you. You've, you've been a, a dear friend, and I so appreciate you speaking into my life when I need you. <laughs> All right, John, thank you. Yes, thank you, Keith. So nice to meet you. Nice thank to meet you, Bart. John. Yeah. Morris, thank you, wherever you are. <laughs> Morris Bird. Yes. <laughs> Got it. All right, I'll see you guys later. See ya. Great conversation, guys. Bye. For more on Bart, go to bartcampolo.org. To leave a question in your own voice to be used in future shows, call the Humanize Me Q line at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. Humanize Me is a production of Jax Media. Hey, you could be larger than life. Oh.